community management is a, a integral part of every brand's remit today. This is Sue Freck, and I'm your host of the Happy Marketer Connection podcast brought to you by Vesta. Each week, along with my guests, other fellow passionate marketers, we will explore engaging and inventive marketing strategies and toast brands making impactful consumer connections. Please kick back, relax, and join our happy half hour of marketing inspiration and positivity and come away a happier and smarter marketer. So the theme this week of the podcast is privacy and profits. You know, the 2000s were this fire hose of data, sort of what we call the wild, wild west of data collection. As a marketer, you really could collect whatever you wanted, you know, use it how you need it and store it wherever you felt it was most secure. Then come along the Cambridge Analytica breach and everything changed. In our world at Vesta, we build online communities and collect a tremendous amount of consumer data. What I love about our Vesta platform, though, is that it's 100% opt-in, and our consumers and members are told upfront why we collect the data and how it's used. It really allows us to provide them with better content and offers. A consumer can join a community, simply view content, and choose not to share their personal information, or members can take surveys, can share, and provide personal demographic and lifestyle information, and then receive more personalized content and offers. You know, data is certainly on my mind, it's on my team's mind, our clients, and almost every marketer. And today, we are going to hear from an expert in data collection and data protection. So this week's guest is Tim Hayden. Tim has over two decades of experience in leading high-growth technology firms and marketing agencies. Before Brain Trust, he was the head of marketing at Zignal Labs, a real-time media intelligence platform, and produced technology and process improvements for clients of TTH Strategy. He was also the former head of mobile programs at Edelman Digital in North America. He was also the founder of agencies and technology vendors serving as a catalyst for innovative change in some of the world's leading brands. Tim serves on the advisory boards of People Pattern, RivetWorks, Wonder Technologies, and Zignal Labs. He's also the co-author of The Mobile Commerce Revolution. Please join me in welcoming Tim to today's show. Well, thank you and welcome to another episode of the Happy Marketer Connection. I'm excited to have Tim as our guest today. Tim, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Sue. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Thanks for having me. Perfect. So let's start with an icebreaker. Um, as I'm okay. stalking and doing research, I love to see that scary. on your LinkedIn. I know, very scary. Yeah. I love to see on your LinkedIn, you have a lot of volunteer work you're doing. Obviously, you're running a company, family man, you're busy. Can you talk a little bit about you know, what's prompted all of your involvement or which organizations and really was this your upbringing or why you're so involved in, in volunteer work? No, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, I, I think it's often overlooked. Um, there's a couple of vantage points, and I'll, I'll talk about the upbringing part of it. Um, my parents, um, especially my mom, my mom was an executive director and president of everything from a chamber of commerce to the Northeast Tarrant County Council on Alcohol and Drug Abuse. Um, she was a volunteer for Meals on Wheels. You know, she, she really, at an early age, exposed me. Uh, she never told me exactly what she was doing. She often talked about this work, but she didn't do it in a way to say, Hey, you got to do this. But as I, as I went through college and I started getting involved in things like fraternities and student government and some of the nonprofit support that we provided through those organizations, I started to just understand the benefit. You know, I don't, I don't mean to make that sound overly capitalistic or selfish, but 
you know, it's, uh, uh, I've lived in Austin for 20 years, um, except for a two-year stint living in the Bay Area. And I've just kind of felt like it's been my responsibility to take care of my neighbors um, and to do what I can to to see that uh, they're given every opportunity that they have. I don't think that's government's role necessarily. I mean, I think government has specific roles to ensure our safety infrastructure and things like that. But um, at the end of the day, there's just so much thing, there's so many things that we can do. But one more angle of that is, uh, you know, a couple of the nonprofits that I'm involved with, one is movability, which uh, specifically Austin is, is renowned. We're infamous for our traffic which is, uh, you know, it, it's kind of unworked its way or unwired its way with COVID. But um, uh, it's, been a, it's been a lot of fun and, and a big challenge in movability to help companies understand before COVID, in a pre-COVID world, how people could work from home. Um, and that's, that's basically been, you know, the new norm, uh, the new normal, I think, in many ways. But um, handling big social issues like that, um, you know, mobility touches everything that has to do with our lives. And, and trying to help people find uh, more frictionless ways to get from point A to point B. It's different. I just I just like to give movability a plug. That's great. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I think even people listening, I think sometimes we forget that it's not about money, but it's often about giving your time, resources, and even some of your skills. And it's certainly right. for me and for you, it's about passing it on. So hopefully those listening, it's a quick little reminder um, of how we can help others, certainly during a time like this. So let's talk about your background. You know, we picked the theme privacy and profits. That might scare some people, but how did you become what I'll call this experts <laughs> on the topic? Well, first of all, I don't. Um, I wouldn't consider myself an expert. I don't think anybody's really an expert. I think we we have to show up every day ready to learn, right? Especially today, these are volatile. You know, you can call them uncertain or at least inconsistent times we live in, and you know, it really all comes from uh, what I've done in my career. Is for a long time, uh, I was a digital marketer, and then I was more in the offline experiential marketing. It was while I was in experiential marketing, I owned an agency, all of a sudden I got really interested in the mobile technology. And mobile, you know, being the great convergence of email and social media, and of course the wonderful world of applications, everything converged there and behind that's data. And we have to address what's going on in terms of privacy, um, in terms of, of how we can and how we should track and engage our customers, but at the same time, you know, having the various experiences that I've had across marketing and customer experiences in the past, it really helped me understand that there had to be a bigger solution to help handle uh, big data, as it were, how to, how to handle it and how to, how to govern it in a way that's responsible, especially now that we have governments and uh, allaying, you know, putting down some swim lanes and some expectations in terms of legislation on what we can and can't do with customer data. Yeah. So most people cringe when they think about data protection and collecting and securing data. You know, what, why do you think you embrace it? <laughs> well, you know, to me, it's, um, I'm, I don't know how old you are and I'm not going <laughs> to, we don't need to get into that, but, um, you know, there are many of us today that can remember when we got rid of our old cathode ray tube uh, television sets and we moved to these thinner, uh, we didn't call them flat screens at first, right? We just knew they were smaller and lighter televisions or not really smaller. They had larger screens, um, but they had a higher definition signal, right? A higher definition picture. That's exactly what marketers are being asked to do today. 
It's basically telling brands, clean up your data, uh, deliver a, 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 a more direct and personalized experience to your customers and be ready for them and put them in control to where your customers can come and request to see the data. Make sure if you have it spread all around your organization, you're not going to be able to, to give it to them in a timely fashion. And really at the end of the day, it, it goes hand in hand. Everything you need to do for personalization to reduce your media spend, to do things like predictive analytics and behavior modeling, um, all things that brands want to do to deliver a better experience, not to be creepy, but just to deliver um, a more compelling and contextually relevant experience. To me, that's the way you have to look at privacy. Makes so much sense. And I think the access to the data that we have, I see it as such a privilege. So with that comes great responsibility. Don't laugh. I did watch Spider-Man over the weekend, but it certainly (laughs) is, you know, it's a privilege to be able to collect it and use it in a very responsible way. So talk to me about, for those that may or may not know, I'm listening and could be my mom, CDP, you know, what is it? What does it mean? (laughs) The definition, but really what does it mean? Sure. Uh, CDP is short for customer data platform. And what we have right now is really over the last five or six years, there are a number of companies that had built data lakes. Um, In fact, you'll find a lot of people who are engineers, you know, that are in IT. They've been working with data lakes for a long time, a place to park data, a place to take data from disparate systems, many different platforms and put that data from each of those platforms in the same place. Many times they've done that for analytical purposes. Many times they've had to do that for storage purposes. Today, those many of those platforms, not all of them, but many of them have become much more marketer friendly and um, in terms of the interface and how you can go in and you can access data. And even better than that, with machine learning starting to really, I wouldn't say mature. We're not even in the adolescence of machine learning yet, but machine learning, I think, allows companies to look at this high, what they call high cardinality, loads and loads of big, big data, and more of it coming all the time with wearables, connected cars, connected homes. You got to have some place for all that data to go, and you got to have that data work for you. Um, And of course, you have to do it to comply with data privacy regulations as well. CDPs, customer data platforms, to the rescue. They basically are systems that you can connect via an API connection. You can connect your marketing automation, your CRM, your mobile app management system, everything that you have in your stack of technology to one place to build that one golden record of uh, customer information for every customer you have. Yeah. And we love that. I mean, the clients for us, you know, we build online communities and the clients for us that are doing it well are the ones that are connecting the data that we're collecting to the CDP and really telling that holistic story. So we get excited when asked about API and and collecting the data and being able to use it um, because those that use the data more, they see the value in it. So it's exciting to us. What do you think is sort of the riskiest platform or sort of the sneaky, and I don't mean sneaky in in a necessarily a negative way, but sneaky in a way where maybe a consumer isn't even aware the data is being collected on them. So where do you think some of those platforms are or how people are doing it or or isn't there? Is everything pretty much in the the open now? Well, you know, I, um, uh, you know, when you say out in the open now, it's, it's like inferring that privacy is dead. Right. And I, I do believe that most of it is out in the open. You have companies like Experion, Experion, pardon me, 
um, and others that are in the big data collection business for our protection, right? They're, they're there to help us not just have a credit score and, and not be able to manage our finances better, but also to be able to somehow protect us in terms of our information as it, as it is made public. But at the end of the day, I think what you want to do is, is, is really think about everything that's in the fine print from when you download an application to your mobile device, when you shop at an online retailer, e-tailer, I don't want to mention names, but you know, every one of these players, your credit cards, um, when you get your credit card and it comes with a, a guidebook that shows you everything you're agreeing to, a privacy statement, everything that comes with it. Um, these are all things that you're agreeing to in terms of how someone can use your data. So at the end of the day, I think that we have to be very careful. The biggest companies on the planet right now um, in terms of um, Facebook and Apple and Netflix and Google, you know, the, there's, there's several more, but those being the folks that are the poster children in terms of having the biggest view on who we are and what we do, where we've been, um, who we connect with. And to me, uh, to the point you've already made, Sue, I mean, I, th I think the jury is out right now on whether or not a lot of these companies have taken great responsibility with that data. I believe most of them have operationally. I think how they use it and how they may sell it to third parties and to their advertisers, I think that's what's suspect. Certainly, certainly agree with that. You know, and I think the data regulation, both from our personal, from our company, our clients, is actually a very positive thing. But, you know, there are times when a consumer may not realize when they say, do not sell my information and delete me, what that means. That's you know, right. They may not understand that they don't get the benefits of it. So, you know, my question really is, what is that balance? What's the balance I love the simplification when regulation comes in and maybe your credit card statement is now simplified. You know, there's no right. hidden fees, but the simplification of what you collect and what you do with it. But what, what else, what is, what from your perspective has been positive coming out of all of this regulation? Well, I think, um, you know, we're recording this when we are. And, uh, and so we, we have COVID-19, which has probably accelerated the view that people have on this. Um, and I say people, both consumers and, and business and brands. I think everyone is understanding that to meet customers on the terms that the customer wants, that you have to be great stewards of their data. Um, and you have to be able to, you know, what I said before, you have to deliver contextually relevant experiences. The interesting thing about this is that we may be happy marketers to, as the, as the podcast is, is titled, <laughs> we may be happy marketers, but at the end of the day, personal, personalization is not ours to gain right now. Personalization really is for what I think is the inbound responsibility a brand has when a customer is in need, when a customer um, has something shipped to them, and it's not the right size or the box was broken or the burger was cold. I mean, Whatever the, th the case may be, when, when a customer calls a 1-800 number or interacts with a chat, in those situations, you want to have all the relevant information about them at that moment. Not to be creepy, but to be able to give them an answer and a solution that's very personal and personalized to them, or at least relevant. 
And, um, and that's where we're, we are right now. And I think we've seen that uh, as e-commerce, let's just say it this way, as e-commerce has exploded, compounded, that growth has been compounded by COVID-19. I've seen a lot of brands who've really taken that to heart to say, let's, let's be easy on our customers. Let's make it easier for them to find the information they need. And let's make it easier for our internal teams to find the information they need to address customer situations. So I think I said the jury's out earlier on who's responsible and who's not. I think time is going to tell who really takes advantage of where we are today from a technological capability standpoint um, and from a, a regulation and compliance standpoint, who really capitalizes on that for the means of delivering um, indelibly delightful customer experiences. Yes, that makes so much sense. I could see that. And I'm, I am curious, you know, a customer again says delete everything on me. You know, is that customer service person on the other end at a loss when their data is gone? That's so right. it'll be interesting to see, see what happens because there is an expectation that if you are a customer of an e-tailer or, you know, a, a big brand that you have certain amount of information on them. So we know that the CCPA has been effective since June of 2018 and really became fully in effect this year in January. Has there been a fallout from that? I know there was a little bit of a pause with the distraction around COVID, but is it working the way that California intended it to work? Well, the, the California Consumer Privacy Act, um, it, it's largely modeled on global data privacy regulations, uh, which came out of Europe. Um, almost four years ago now. And basically, uh, California, the law went into effect in January of 2020, but they really didn't start to enforce it until July 1st of this year. So um, with that, you know, we're, we're in early days. I think that a lot of brands um, that were either overly dependent on selling data on um, you know that that is a, a revenue generator for them to sell party to sell data to third parties. Pardon me, I think they're the ones that saw that this was going to be the biggest challenge. There's more that's going to challenge those folks with iOS 14 coming from from Apple and and Google killing support for the third the third party cookie. But um, at the end of the day, I think that um, what the what the CCPA is going to do and what it has done already is not so much caused any great shift in business. I think it's, it's had everybody from the general counsel's office to uh, chief marketing officers and CIOs, maybe CFOs, to start to understand that they must be better stewards of the data they have. I believe that's true. But even more so, the effect it's had with another 26 states that have started to put legislation into motion that looks very similar to it. And, and I guess the punchline here is that sometime after the election in November, we probably should see something happen at the federal level because this is one of those things, right, that with interstate commerce, if we're going to see the FCC and some other folks get involved in this, I'm pretty sure, and we'll see a law that comes to bear, especially if people look at it the way at least I do, and that is this is about cleaning up the mess that's there with data. This is about delivering a high-definition signal. Uh, to your customers, making customers happier. Uh, can we look at it that way rather than looking at it some at some litigious opportunity? I don't know. Yeah, and I think that you're right, and I love the analogy on it. It's it's elevating uh, the standard 
and yes. certainly having it cross uh, you know interstate and certainly having it at the federal level i do think makes so much sense and in scaring companies, you know, we always see this in, out of innovation, new products come out and new services come out of things, even when it seems like there is a negative side to it. So yes, you know, Google changing how they are, um, you know, not accepting third-party cookies and certain iOS 14, but I'm excited to see what companies do come out of this and, and what, are, what are some of the positives. Interested in building a home for your audience? Our Vesta solution powers online communities, giving your consumers a home for a world of engagement and connections. To learn more, visit us at vesta-go.com. So let's take a little bit of a shift here and talk about your company, Brain Trust. And I'm sure. really excited to partner with you. Can you just tell the listeners what Brain Trust does? You know, how do you differentiate yourselves as well? Absolutely. Um, you know, at Brain Trust. Early on, when we started the company in 2016, we started seeing that there were a, a number of things happening in the marketplace. One was a surplus of technology that's on the market. If you're a CMO or a chief communications officer, a chief operating officer every day, at least your lieutenants, your SVPs, your directors, the folks that support you, have their inboxes full with everyone wanting to demo new software, right? Uh, silver bullets, we call it, you know, things that will cure everything. And with that, you know, brands need, executives need someone to help guide them and to help make sense of, of what's out there. That was compounded by machine learning and artificial intelligence because now everybody says they have AI in their systems. And I think we need to be careful about what we're doing with AI, especially if we're using too much of it. If you have 20 different tools you're using to manage customer experiences, well, if every one of them is becoming somewhat cognitive or autom automated at least, you might have conflict. You may have signals that look different, analytics that, that conflict with each other. So how do you go about integrating systems? And that's, and that's really what we, we do at Braintrust is say, how do you leverage that primary data that you have, that, that data that you're sitting on, that your business is running on daily, uh, 24 hours a day? How do you start to capitalize on it to do a lot of the things you and I have already talked about? Privacy compliance, personalization, different analytic opportunities. But at the, at the end of the day, it's, it's really saying, how can I understand my customers in a way that helps me become more relevant, not just in marketing, but in how I build new products. And that's what we do is we work with companies to say, hey, you can have all the data in the world if you can't make insights from it, if you can't make decisions from those insights, and you can't understand that everything's connected one way or another, we can help you with all of that and give you a truer, more clarified view of what to do over the next several quarters, the next 18 months at most. Can't look beyond that because of, of how volatile the world is. But um, we don't bill by the hour. Um, we bill by the month. Um, and with every engagement, we provide 30 days of support on the, on the, at the conclusion of a project. Um, I guess at the end of the day, I think it's, um, this is the, the, the tweetable thing that we like to put out there, but it's uh, digital transformation and customer journeys are not turnkey. Um, they're circuitous things that you have to think about all the time in terms of iterating them. And um, too many consultants are out there right now saying, we'll take you through digital transformation. There is no start to it and there is no end to it. 
So um, we see that very different and in, in partnering with our clients, how do we help them really build better roadmaps, what to prioritize and what to do as they iterate their business, they evolve their business to run more efficiently and much more relevant with their customers. And that is so why we really wanted to partner and we're so interested in partnering with, with your company. You know, if you wouldn't mind just talking a little bit about the project that we're looking to work on together. So as the audience knows, you know, again, we build online communities, we collect a tremendous amount of data, but without the insights, um, that data doesn't become as valuable. I wouldn't call it invaluable, but how do you make better business decisions without the insights? And would you mind just talking a little about the project that we uh, plan to work on together? Absolutely. No, I mean, and I think uh, uh, it, it goes without saying, we are just as excited about working with Vesta uh, for, for everything you just said, is community management is a, a integral part of every brand's remit today. Um, you need to do that to be able to learn more from your customers, to capitalize on customers who are willing to give you more time and more directional insight, and as well to create external advocates and champions for your brand. Um, that's absolutely necessary. To the direct opportunity of working alongside Vesta, you know, the software that you use, the systems that you use to manage these online communities does very well what it needs to do for managing the community. But there's data that swims through all of those systems. And there's opportunities to run different analysis and different models on that data than what you're already doing. And to come up with a correlation of what we can see there, maybe what we can then reconcile with social listening or other public information about customers. Again, not, not going in a creepy way to track anyone, but being able to say, hey, once we look at this, once we start to correlate data from disparate sources, that delivers us insights that no system is able to do by itself. Um, and that's, uh, I guess, to put a label on it, you know, bring data science to the table to be able to run certain models, analytical models and behavior models on where customers already are as they're doing what they're already doing. Um, not asking them to do more, not asking them to fill out surveys or to agree to be tracked or anything like that. This is all part of customer data privacy, of course, in terms of them allowing their data to be processed in this way. But as we do that, is being able to have a much more holistic picture that the brand can then use to make decisions and um, to do more for its community, but also to do more for all the customers that they serve. Yeah, and that's why we're so excited. It's really elevating and layering the the piece that we haven't had, and I'm always transparent about this with our clients, is, is that data science piece. And, that's right. And um, your you know, view of bringing in all the systems and being able to look at it in one place, we're super excited about, which brings me to the point you're bringing in one of your partners, Ringer Science. Can you talk a little bit about the next practice and, and the partners that you have? I was so intrigued by the way this um, is set up. And I think, I think others would be interested to hear a little bit more about it. Sure. Well, um, you know, Bob Pearson, going back a decade plus, we'll just say. Um, uh, I've known Bob since uh, I had Dell as a client when um, I had an experiential agency and I was their agency of record at Dell. Bob came to me about a year ago and said that he wanted to build something that looked like a holding company maybe, but maybe it was a super agency. He wasn't really sure at the time, but he said, 
I know several different firms, Brain Trust being one, that are out there that are seeming to be doing the work of the future, or at least the, the relevant work for what brands need today. And that came down to everything we've already discussed that Brain Trust is doing. What Ringer Sciences does is leverage data science to, to be able to run the models and to run better analysis on uh, disparate and correlating disparate sources of data. Um, we have Rocket Sauce Media Labs, which is um, a media strategy group. They do media planning and buying as well. And you can start to kind of see how all of us would work with each other. The Victory CTO, they excel in IT and ERP services, lots in cybersecurity. Um, they do things that we don't do. They do things with SOC 2 compliance, which has to go hand in hand with privacy compliance. And then we've got folks like ChangeX, John McNeil and his team, who are really about brand purpose. They're really about helping companies understand that corporate social responsibility is something that is a little bit dated as a practice. And now, especially in 2020, we have to understand that brands must stand for something and must give customers an opportunity and a say-so in what that something is. So all of this falls within communications. It all, it all falls within the realms of data governance, marketing, customer experience. But the next practice, uh, what they've done is they've, they've taken an equity state in each of these firms. And as they've done that, um, we have been also given um, an equity opportunity in, in the next practice as well. And, I, and that's, that's different than what most holding companies do. Yeah, absolutely. That value exchange is high. <laughs> absolutely. And we're all founder driven. Uh, every one of the firms I just rattled off, um, every single one of them, we're still driven by the founders uh, of each of them. And with that, you just get a more fluid vision. And um, I would say, don't want to limit it to thought leadership because it's beyond that. We're all in the trenches, practically doing the work. And with that, it's a very collaborative group. It's a, it is every day. We just launched on July 1st, but every day we're becoming more integrated. We're finding new ways to work together. And just as what we're doing here with Vesta, we're building new products. I mean, the things that we're talking about doing with Vesta, with a combination of brain trust and Ringer Sciences and Vesta, that could be a whole new product unto itself. So um, with that, we're, we're about building new products, not just being a well-rounded holding company in the professional service context. Yeah, that's really exciting. Obviously, the leverage of intelligence and networking for clients, but certainly helping move forward and future-proofing businesses. I, I love that. So in looking at the future, and, and I love that you say there is no beginning or, or end because it's so true. We're, we're in a constant transformation, and that is really what the transformation is. Are, are you predicting any big changes, you know, any big changes for the, for the future when it comes to data collection, um, data insights, analytics? I, I definitely believe that what we're seeing right now, if you use Venmo or Cash App or um, even what some of the banks have put in our hands that allow us to do peer-to-peer -peer payments, that is just the early edge of what could be there with distributed networks, distributed ledgers or blockchain technology. I'm not talking about cryptocurrency. I'm just talking about the fact that we are becoming a, a bit more of a connected society. And with that, I think if you look at the next 18 months where iOS 14 um, from Apple and 
what Google is doing to limit, if not totally kill, I mean, they say they're going to totally kill your ability to leverage the third party cookie through Google, at least. As those things start to happen, we have to have a direct peer to peer connection as brands to the audiences that we serve. And we have to do that pretty fast because my big future prediction here is that probably within 10 years, blockchain will be a thing. And with that, your customers will be able to transact with you anonymously. And you'll actually be paying your customers to find out who they are. You'll be paying them to take a survey and give you more information. And um, it's back to where we were probably, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes ago. That privacy will be this thing that it's not just that there are digital natives, but there will be digital, well-governed folks that are in that audience of consumers now that are going to understand that if a brand wants to interact with them, they're going to have to pay for access to, to understand who this person is. Um, it's a little scary. It's a little dystopian when you think about it, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's what's going to happen. Yeah, it's, it is interesting though, because uh, brands will ask me what is the sort of DNA of the most successful communities. And again, it is about that direct consumer engagement. It's the value exchange. You cannot build a community and ask the consumer to tell me all about you or to go and advocate for me without some sort of value exchange. So in our world today, oftentimes it's virtual currency, but there are clients and we are talking about building out true gamification. And there are communities doing it right now that are rewarding. And again, not transactional loyalty. So not buy this, I give you something. This is your data and what you're not telling me and what you're not buying is actually more valuable. And when you go and share with your thousand friends on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, that's, and I don't know about it, that's actually more valuable because it's in your protected world. But will you share that with me? Yes. In exchange for something. So I, I'm with you, Tim. I totally see that, um, Consumers are getting smarter every day and they know there is a tremendous value. And I wouldn't, it would not surprise me about that value exchange being in the form of real money or some sort of real currency. Right. Right. And I think you're, um, I, I think just what, what Vest is doing right now and what you know so well, Sue, in terms of community management, what, what I'm talking about, what I'm, what I'm foreseeing in my crystal ball is, <laughs> is, is really um, the brands who get it right, the brands who understand that it's about understanding who your customers are, actually who they are. Look beyond the clicks. Look beyond the open rates on email. Look beyond a lot of the, the performance media analytics that you have and get down in, in, in both virtually and physically Look your customers in the eyes, get to know who they are and deliver, as you, as you put it, value exchanges that are meaningful to them. Um, that's the only way these communities are, I think, will grow. I mean, you've already proven that, um, but it's, it's about how a brand stays relevant and perseveres as the fabric in terms of what connects us is going to look very different over the course of the next maybe five to 10 years. Yeah, yeah, super exciting. It, it really is. So do you want to jump to a positive story, something in your career, family? Um, you know, I, I know we, we all love hearing maybe something that hasn't, <laughs> hasn't been told before, but certainly um, something that you can share with the audience. 
Well, I mean, uh, here's the here's the fun story. Today is the very first day of school for Ooh. the Austin Independent School District. And um, this morning, um, we had been rehearsing a bit for the last 10 days on how we would do this. We really didn't get the the structure, the schedule in place from the teacher and the and the school itself on what the day would look like. But we knew that the a number of hours that my son would have to be in front of a, a computer screen. Um, we'd have to balance that, right? So here we are halfway through and actually really close to the end of day one of fall 2020 <laughs> COVID-19 school, right? Of pandemic school. Uh, I'm hearing right now from my wife that everything's going very well. And that, um, you know, when the teacher asked each one of the kids to to go find something and bring it and show it to everybody. What a wonderfully efficient show and tell it is to have kids doing this, uh, you know, screen shares from home. Uh, I understand my son went and grabbed his ukulele and played oh, wow. seven, seven Nation Army for everybody. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's, I won't call it silver lining, but it's, it's just, it's beams of sunlight at least in terms of what is a, a precarious and challenging situation for all of us right now. My, my home, I don't think everybody's had that same experience. And oh, again, it's only day one. We got a long road in front of us <laughs> to get this figured out. But um, I'm just happy to know that my kid's having some fun with it and uh, uh, really looking forward to seeing how uh, and hearing all the stories. This is, this is where I think communities and, and even social media uh, – this is what it was built for, right? This was this is what social media was built for, is for not for political rants. It wasn't built for fake news. It wasn't built for anything like that. It was built for friends to share with each other, for like-minded folks to share with each other how they're going about living life with happiness and success. And um, I, that's a, it's a long way of, of me just kind of saying is I, I'm really excited to see the content that folks are going to be sharing over the next few weeks as we take on a whole new normal with school. Agreed. And you know what I love about, you know, I have three young children as well, and we're 100% remote here in, in Colorado. What, but what I love is that the technology has gotten us through. I mean, think about this world 20 years ago. I mean, it's just incredible how resilient operations, organizations, education system has been in adapting to this new world, especially the children. But I love seeing the technology piece of it. Um, and I think there's room for improvement with some of the apps, but I'm certainly uh, grateful for what the teachers um, and parents have put, put together to give right. the kids the best experience possible. But I definitely look at it from a technology point of view. And I feel blessed that we have this technology and it continues to innovate and we're part of it because it is part of the data and it's the feedback. And, and to your point, it's the digital marketing. And that is what is getting brands and consumers and parents and teachers through this time period. So I do think that is a really positive silver lining on top of um, what's a really challenging situation of, you know, being remote learning. It, it is absolutely challenging. Well, and I just, it, it, just to add to that just real quick is that when we talk about silver linings, when we talk about key learnings that are going to come from this, this is where brands, cities, telecom companies, utilities, everyone right now is seeing something different than they've ever seen before. And what a grand experiment that is. What a grand opportunity for us to learn 
about what maybe the next few years are going to look like, maybe what the future is going to look like as people have started to engage with each other and, and engage in commerce remotely and, and virtual and more direct. Um, and, that, and that's education as well. I mean, I think it's just, it's fascinating to watch how that's all happening today by requirement and what we can learn from this, um, what it will do to push technology to your point, right? What will it do to push technology and what will it push those who are the arbiters and managers of that technology to learn from this moment to be able to operate a little differently when things get easy when this is all over? Yeah, certainly. I, it will be interesting to see what the new world looks like when things do open up and go back to what we would call our, our old normal. So, Tim, I want to thank you so much for your time today. This has been really insightful. How do listeners find Brain Trust's next practice? How do they connect with you? So, for the next practice, uh, you can go to nextpracticegroup.com. Uh, you can also go to Twitter to what's next underscore TNP kind of a little bit a little bit difficult there what's next underscore t and p as our twitter handle as well for twitter for brain trust we are your brain trust and i am at the tim hayden and of course the brain trust partners uh brain trust dot partners is our website we don't make it too much easier either no dot com no dot net it's just brain trust dot partners Love it. All right. Well, and I highly recommend those listening to reach out to you. And I really appreciate your time today, Tim. I think very insightful as we think about the future and the security around data collection, data privacy. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Sue. It's been a, it's been a pleasure and I'm looking forward to working with you and the team at Vesta. Thank you. Thank you, Tim, so much for sharing all of your recommendations as it relates to data privacy and protection and how these marketers can leverage the data while staying in compliance. To hear more stories and lessons from happy marketers, be sure to subscribe to the Happy Marketer Connection podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. To learn more about community building, our Vesta solutions deliver community-powered marketing to elevate your digital presence, deliver predictive insights, and transform your consumers into lasting brand advocates. The world is fast and ever-changing, and Vesta is here to help you future-proof your business via community-powered marketing. I also welcome you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Sue Freck, or find us at vesta-go.com.